Saturday, everybody. A uh, little bit of a lag and delay. Did a video yesterday regarding Ohio v. Robinette, United States v. Watson, and Schlenkloth versus Bustamante. Three important U.S. Supreme Court cases. And it's good to know because what we're seeing is people who are having a misunderstanding of what they need to do to gain lawful consent. The first thing I want to tell you is this. Um, I want to make sure that I communicate this in a way that is really uh, at the highest level. Um in regard to respect to everybody else who's an instructor in this field. We have no interest ever in slinging mud towards other people. That's not the way we do things. We don't like when it's done to us, so we don't do it like that, right? And I, I implore you to take that position in, in anything that you do, talking bad or, or trying to even remotely come off in a, in a, in a wrong way. It's, it's a horrible way to go about doing things, Brian Buck. Um, hello. How are you, buddy? So um, let's go over this thing. So often. I will see people performing consent procedures on motor vehicle stops that are that are not required. It's important for you to find out if your state requires it. So I'm going to read Ohio v. Robinette to start. We're going to talk about what that means and what state some states have said. Not many, not a far majority, but a very few minority. What some states have said regarding gaining lawful consent. So we go to Robinette for a second. Uh, Robinette said this: it's a U.S. Supreme Court case in which the court ruled that. The Fourth Amendment does not require police officers, listen to this, the U.S. Supreme Court does not require police officers to inform a motorist at the end of a traffic stop that they are free to go before seeking permission to search a motorist's car. Now, what does that mean? Well, oftentimes, um, we may see somebody from another state performing an action that is required in their state. I'm going to give some states that require you to actually tell somebody that they're free to leave before you can get a lawful consent. Kansas. Florida, uh, Illinois, and Maryland. Just some of the ones I've researched. The other 30 that I've researched, you don't have to. As a matter of fact, in some states, I've actually read cases like South Carolina has a case where the police officer actually gave the information back and then did this whole trooper two-step thing, which is something that's required to do in about you know, five to seven states. Um, and the court actually said, like, we don't understand why this police officer told him he was free to go and then asked for consent to search. It kind of doesn't make any sense to us. The reason was, is the Supreme Court of the Appellate Division maybe had not understood that in some states, not many, very few, they did not follow with uh, and line up with the United States Supreme Court's ruling in Ohio v. Robinette. For example, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, most states up here do not require you to do that. Now, generally... Some states require you to have a reasonable suspicion of criminal activity before you can ask for consent to search. All states require you to have reasonable suspicion of criminal activity uh, on a traffic stop where it's converted from a mere hunch to reasonable suspicion in order to expand the stop beyond the initial permitted scope of the stop, which is related to the motor vehicle violation for what the stop was made for. So some states, yes, you're going to hear this. You'll see this. You have to bear in mind where the information is coming from if you're learning it and get to the root cause of it. Most states, most states do not require you to hand back all the documentation, walk back two steps, and then before they leave, say, hey, by the way, uh, before you leave, can I get consent to search your car? Can I ask you a few more questions? Most states don't require that. I remember hearing that for the first time years and years ago, and I'm like, what the hell is that? We've never done it here once. And it was because some states do not follow the ruling, which they're allowed to do, found in Ohio v. Robinette. Now, so Pennsylvania, uh, Latrell Marcus, 
yeah, Pennsylvania, you're good to go. You don't have to play this game. What some people will say is, well, in our state, like Pennsylvania, this is triggering my, my, my thought process here. In our state, like Pennsylvania, if we don't have reasonable suspicion in order to expand the stop, we'd have to get consent from the person to expand, expand a stop, or we would need uh, to break that stop in order to regain and re-enter a consensual encounter to now go further beyond that because we haven't developed reasonable suspicion. So there's two trains of thoughts here. The only reason somebody would try to do that is to try to make their reasonable suspicion that developed be less challengeable in court. And I know challengeable is not a word, but I don't have a better one for that. So the second train of thought I have on this is why would you ever ask for reasonable, I'm sorry, ask for consent to search of a motor vehicle if you didn't have a lot of reasonable suspicion to begin with? Most people know they have something, but haven't been able to document it properly, can't explain themselves. They just know stuff's going on that's different from a normal traffic stop. So you can use the reasonable reasonable suspicion checklist that we created, uh, which has like 211, 13 pages of possible reasons that you may be the presence of criminal activity to document and be able to uh, dictate what exactly you're experiencing. So you have to kind of know how these things work in order to perform this job well. A lot of people will you know, get a real good sense of what crime feels like, what crime looks like, but you have to attenuate the two and back up your actions with the law and legal law of your state and the actions that were permitted according to your Supreme Court, appellate division, law division, criminal law division, whatever it may be, uh, and what you're doing. If you don't have something that describes it in your state, you know you're in a conservative state, you can rely on the U.S. Supreme Court for their rulings and follow that. Kiesel research is not as complicated as you think it is. It's important to know, and um, it really dispels a lot of myths. And when cops aren't taking into account having case law knowledge, we see two things happen. We see not enough action being taken or way too much action being taken. If you ever hear these terms of like, hey, we like to play it safe and go for a warrant, when you, don't need, when you know you don't need to get a warrant in these circumstances, you're probably dealing with somebody who has really no idea what they're talking about. And I'm not here to criticize people. I have to call it like it is. I'm not saying I know everything. I just know that my hero, like, oh, we'd like to play, we'd like to err on the uh, on the safe side and just go for a warrant, right? Having this knowledge of how to perform is going to serve you so well. So, Ohio v. Robinette, why some states don't follow it and what they have to do, just to explain on the latter side of it, is some states have said there's no way somebody give a consensual, a lawful consensual uh, search of their vehicle if they felt like they were still in custody. There's just too much duress and too much coercion. So what some states want you to do is end the traffic stop, which is the the detention, the lawful detention, the seizure, okay, and then proceed into a consensual encounter. Do I think it's ridiculous? Yes. Do I think that any of it makes any sense? No. Do states, some states, very few of them have to follow that procedure? 146%. And it's dictated as such in their case law. So if you're looking for what your state says regarding consent, You know, the idea of asking the guy next to you may not have the answer. The idea of going in and researching, like using Google Scholar or Casetext.com and reading consent procedures, right, will let you know exactly what was good and what wasn't. So if you read 10 cases on consent on a motor vehicle stop, which every state's going to have at least five to 10 cases like this in the books on their case law, you'll see which ones they said they didn't have enough and which ones they said they had plenty and it was perfect. When you read that one that says it was perfect for what this police officer did, uh, you can mimic and copy exactly what happened there and know that when you perform that action, you can cite this case law saying, well, I did what they did here and the court said this was fine. And you can't argue with that. When you show up in litigation and court or suppression hearing, the game is who knows more case law.
And unfortunately, a lot of our police legal advisors uh, generally are not reliable when it comes to knowing enough case law. Why? Because I promise you, most of your prosecutors uh, and across the board, I'm covering district attorneys, they're not reading case law today. So it falls on us to really educate, self-educate. You can come to this group for a resource. We're not everything, but we're better than nothing. Eh, we're a little bit better than nothing. I'm going to toot my horn a little bit. We're a little bit better than nothing. Let's go to the next one. Uh, Schlenkloth versus Bustamante. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, and this is what it says. I lost it here. Let me just get back to that because I know what I did. This is what it said. And guys, you can just Google Schlenkloth versus Bustamante. Uh, and it'll come up. There's a, there's a Wikipedia explanation for it. It makes it so simple. It was a U.S. Supreme Court case that ruled that a case involving a consent search, knowledge of right to refuse consent is a factor in determining whether a consent, a grant consent to a search was voluntary. But the state does not need to prove that the person who granted consent to search knew of the right to refuse consent under the Fourth Amendment. So another interesting one. Now, this is one of these ones where I don't think it's a bad idea to tell people they have the right to refuse consent. If you don't have to do it, this is certainly a much better idea if you're going to adopt something than doing this. You're free to leave. Here's your stuff back. Here's your ticket. Take my hat off. Turn the lights off uh, before you go. Right? That's that's a real big gesture. The gesture of offering the refusal of consent to search or the knowledge or the right to refuse is a far less, um, you know, of a tactic to employ. It doesn't take that much effort to say it, and it will go a long way in court. For example, you want to know about a state that did not follow the ruling in this is New Jersey. Uh, in 1975, we had a case come out called State versus Johnson, and police officers in New Jersey must advise people the right to refuse on any consent search. Even a Terry Frisk, they have to get the uh, advisory of the right to refuse. That's for New Jersey only. I actually haven't seen another state. Well, I have seen other states, but specifically, it's all Jersey has, right? So people in Jersey are like, oh, we got horrible case law. We actually don't. Massachusetts has horrible case law. Minnesota has crappy case law. Florida has horrible consensual case law. Um, Maryland's got some fucked up case law too. Like they're, they're, so we're not we're not really that bad here. The last one I get is people often get told that they can't get consent to search from somebody who's in custody. But have you read United States v. Watson? Let me read Watson to you real quick. And in layman's terms, I'll, show, I'll tell you what it means after I read what the ruling was. It says it was a U.S. Supreme Court decision where the United States decided that a warrantless arrest in public and consented to a vehicle search not violate the Fourth Amendment. So, yes, you can get consent to search from somebody who has been placed under arrest. Uh, certainly, 100 percent. And it was something that myself and my agency that I worked for, we frequently went this route. Now, when you're getting consent from somebody who's in custody, you really should cover more grounds. You don't have to read Miranda to them. But, you know, it may not hurt. But certainly the one factor that people have to keep in mind when getting consent to search is this. Whatever your state says, not knowingly, voluntarily, intelligently, if you're covering those grounds, no coercion, no threat, no duress, all these things are factors that come into account. So if I had somebody under arrest, I would say to them, hey, look, you're under arrest, right? Um, let's, go into the, let's go into the house setting. We go to a house. We have probable cause to go for a search warrant. Somebody's under arrest because they had a warrant for the arrest. I'm going to say to them, look, regardless of what you, whether you say yes or no, I'm going to record this on my, on my video. I'm going to document it very well, my language that I used, the attitude that I gave real politely. Look, dude, it, it's not a big deal. Um, we have a probable cause to go for a search warrant. I want to give you this opportunity to afford us consent to search your house, uh, to avoid going that search warrant route. Even though you're in custody, 
whether you say yes or no, I don't want you to feel like you're that, that's going to have anything to do with it. Your bail's been set. It's already on the warrant here, right? You got a $5,000 bail. That's not going to change whether or not you give consent to search uh, on this circumstance here. I'm not calling a judge. I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to threaten you. Uh, I want you to have the right to refuse. Just because you're in custody doesn't mean we're going to treat you any differently. Saying things like this to reassure people looks really good when it's trying to be challenged by a defense attorney. So really reading case law. And if you don't understand it, um, ask somebody to help you out. Make sure the people that you're getting information from are actually taking into account the tactics they're, they're, they're offering you to employ and if it makes sense. If somebody's saying to you, oh, you can't get consent from somebody who's in custody, the question is, well, where does it say that? Like, because we haven't found anything that says that at all. And, you know, we're trying to help the profession here. If you are part of the problem of just recycling your own personal opinion about things because you thought about it, it really doesn't matter what you thought about it. It matters what the courts had to say. So hopefully you all find value in this. Uh, I don't know if there's any more questions. I got, uh, here we go. We got Marcus going on. Uh, does no consent to search for an individual in custody apply in Pennsylvania as well? No, no. There, I, I personally don't know if there's something on the books in Pennsylvania that says you cannot get consent to search from somebody who's in custody, but you could just take U.S. versus Watson and run a scholar search or a case tech search uh, against that case law, uh, against your state's case law. I, I have a hard time believing, but who knows? I didn't research it, that it would be uh, improper to get consent from somebody in custody in Pennsylvania. And again, you know, I got a guy complaining today. Hey, they don't want to do this, 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 this office of their prosecutors. And I go, dude, these people, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, we know they don't. That's the most frustrating thing. We know they're on our team. We're trying to educate them. We're trying to help them. There are some that know what the hell they're talking about. There's not many guys. Like, it's just, it is what it is. And once you understand that, it really should motivate you to research it so you have a leg to stand on when you're arguing your case. Um, reaching out to me in a panic is not really going to help you often because uh, sometimes I'm just not available. Our legal professional, Zach Miller, he's not always available, right? Like, we're not always able to answer those questions. So having that knowledge and having that confidence to stand up and say, hey, look, this is why we did this. Read this right here. It says we could do this. What are you guys afraid of? You'll see people taking three steps back when they have no knowledge of what they're doing. You know, so I, I'm not here to take shots. I, I implore and urge all of you to diplomatically educate, right? Get these folks on board what we're talking about. But I see this constantly. I go to states and they're like, hey, what we do here is we, you know, half the class, like we give them their stuff back. Then we tell them they're free to go. We get consent. The other half's like, why are you guys doing that? And they're like, we don't know. Like somebody told us to do this. Like one guy went somewhere and learned something and brought it back here. And although it's not illegal to do that, right? It's not, it's just a moot gesture. It doesn't really make much sense if you don't have to do it. So, you know, that that's the answer. Happy Saturday, everybody. I'm, I'm in the lab here today, catching up on a lot of work. I'll be in the office for the next few weeks. Um, I'll be reading case law today, looking forward to knocking out a good 50, 60 pages. Maybe I'll come up with something good for everybody to do a video later on, on, um, right buck, unless you're talking about the vehicle. All right, so I have nothing else. If you have a question, you can write it to me. See you guys.